Okay, let's get your eyes off the page. We're going to be talking today about memorizing music. Hello and welcome to the Musician Toolkit, episode number 47. My name is David Lane and it is great to be with you once again. If you're keeping track, this is the third solo episode in a row and that is due to a lot of factors that I will not go into right now, but needless to say, my November is crammed. (laughs) Tonight I am starting Tech Week for the Wizard of Oz at the Community Theater of Greensboro. If you're local to this area, uh, welcome you to get tickets and come to that show. They do this show every year, and this is my first year conducting the orchestra. It's a 19-piece orchestra in the pit, and it's at the Carolina Theater in Greensboro. It's this weekend and next weekend. If you're not catching this right away, that is on November 11th and 12th, and then again on November 18th and 19th. There's a couple of school shows in between. Also have a few other things going on that I I will probably talk about later. Needless to say, stacking up these shorter episodes has been the way to go, these solo episodes. And I should have a couple of guest episodes, possibly one next week, that I'm going to be bringing you. So, not changing formats, just having some circumstances that require me to shake things up just a little bit. Not too long ago, we had an episode with a guest named Jeff Westley, and we talked about improvisation, but we also talked a little bit about memorization, and we talked about the importance of it. And I happen to mention that it's something that I notice that a number of my students struggle with this. And and maybe it's not just a generational thing. Maybe they're you know, uh, I was a single piano student who did not struggle with memorization, but as far as I know, maybe the other students who were taking with the teacher that I took from, maybe they did. Maybe this has always been a case of some students do well with this, some don't. I know when I talk to other teachers, there's always a little bit of anxiety that comes when teachers say you have to memorize something for a recital. And I've I've seen some young students of mine, not many, but some of them have like cried at their recital, either before or during, because of the stress of memorization. And I realized that the last time that that happened, one of the big shortcomings that was all my fault as a teacher is that I only encourage students to memorize during the one or two recitals that they have per year. Whereas when I was a student, I memorized everything eventually out of habit. I, th- I think my teacher just encouraged memorizing. I don't know that she asked me to memorize everything, but I just, at some, lo- at some point along the way, I just decided to memorize. Now, this was a hindrance in becoming a good sight reader, but, was, but it was absolutely an asset when it came to learning music and not having to have the book in front of me. I can sit down at the piano Anytime I'm in a room with a piano, and if someone would like to hear me play some music, between my memorization skills and my improvisation skills, I am not worried about a time limit before I run out of something to play. So that was kind of, you know, what the episode we had before with Jeff Wesley was about, was 
you're producing music without any book in front of you if you have the combination of memorization and improvisation. But, but let's talk about memorization today. Let's talk about getting your eyes off the book and somewhere else. Now, where that goes may depend on your instrument. If you're a pianist, I'm going to say put them on your hands. I probably would say that if you play guitar, if you play any string instrument, anything that involves your hands. Now, this is not to say this is where you should perform it, and this is definitely not where you your eyes should be if you are sight reading. But if we're ready to memorize, you, you need to start watching what the part of your body that's making the music is doing. So I think that works for for most instrumentalists, almost every instrumentalist uses their hands in some way. So you've got fingerings for woodwinds and brass players. We know that percussionists use their hands. If you're an organist, you know, you might want to go look at your feet in addition to your hands and watch what they're doing. Same thing if you're a harpist or, or a pianist at times, if you're working on the pedaling. Now, what about if you're a vocalist? I think you need to probably go stand in front of a mirror and watch yourself sing. That might be a, a good idea because, you know, you're not using your hands, but you are using your face. You're using your, your voice. So this is the first step that I give everybody. Because your eyes are paying attention to what the brain wants to take in. I mean, this, this is why it's advised that you don't try to text or do anything with your phone while you're driving. Because your eyes are not on the road when you're doing that. They're down at your phone. And yes, we think we can multitask well, and more often than not, we get away with it. But if you want to drive well, you need your eyes on the road. If you want to text well, you need your eyes on your phone. If you know the skill well enough, you can compensate at a reduced performance rate of not looking at that. So if you're sight reading, that means that you are looking at music on a sheet of paper on staff paper, that you have not practiced before. You are not familiar with this music. So looking down at your hands, for example, if you're a pianist, doesn't really help. You need to be looking at the sheet music so that you can see what it is you're supposed to be playing. And you realize that at this time, your point is not to even really learn the music, much less memorize it. It's just to play it well on a first attempt. So that's where your eyes should go. And that's why teachers all over the world are always encouraging their students, especially as they're starting a piece, to not look down at their hands, to, to not look anywhere but at the book, at the page that they're playing. And unfortunately, a lot of students, a lot of parents of students, have taken that as a 100% rule. You should always keep your eyes on the page and you should never look down at your hands. And this leads to some poor performances when it comes to memorizing. It's, it's a transitional process. And so you always have to ask when you're practicing, what am I working on now? What phase am I in? Am I in the sight reading phase? Am I in the learning the music phase? Or am I in the processing the memorization phase? So occasionally I get a blog post from a business called Disc Makers. And this was an article that actually came out a little over a month ago. And I had saved this to, to read it for later on when I, when I was able to kind of talk about this. But it's an article called Memorizing Music, Benefits and Tips to Unlocking 
auditory memory. So I'll share a link to this article in the show notes. And therefore, I'm not going to read all of it right now. I just want to cover some highlights and then I want to add my own thoughts to this. So I thought that this was a good chance to talk about tactics for memorizing music. But I do want to read what they talk about auditory memory. So I'm just going to read a bit from the article. It says, auditory memory is a powerful tool. Have you ever had a jingle from a commercial that aired 30 years ago play in your head from out of nowhere? That's the strength of auditory memory. Harnessing this power as a technique for memorizing music can be very useful. Repetition, of course, is part of the equation. Jingles are often drilled into our heads by hearing a commercial over and over on multiple channels, giving birth to a persistent earworm. Mindful repetition. By the way, that's a key. Let's you know, make sure that you hear that word mindful. Repetition can effectively build tacit awareness of a musical place and take advantage of multi-coding, the combination of several different sensory inputs to amplify memory recall. Body movements, auditory inputs, emotions, surroundings, and more come into play to strengthen memory. The term kinesthetic coding applies to this. Relating music to specific kinesthetic sensations, such as touch when playing an instrument, or the feeling when singing a melody. Studies linking early musical training to changes in brain anatomy and function offer evidence of dramatic effects at both an early age and throughout long-term training. And then it talks about making long-term memories. And this article quotes a TED Talk by Laura Boyd, where she talks about physical and chemical changes in the brain that take place during learning. And she says that you want to remember that long-term memories take time. And what you see in the short term does not reflect learning. It's these physical changes that are going to support long-term learning and chemical changes that support short-term learning. Laura Boyd also says that nothing is more effective than practice at helping you learn. And the bottom line is that you have to do the work. And in fact, my research has shown that increased difficulty Increased struggle, if you will, during practice actually leads to both more learning and greater structural change in the brain. But she also notes that there's no one-size-fits-all approach to learning or memorizing. So there's no recipe. So now it offers some tactics, and I'm, I'm going to go through them and kind of add my thoughts to that. But I want to go back to this one word that I, that I told you to, to keep in mind because this is the key to everything. It's mindful or mindfulness. Have you ever had trouble finding your keys or have you ever had trouble finding your wallet? Have you ever tr had trouble finding your phone? Well, right now I'm going to tell you without looking at them, I'm going to tell you where all of those items are right now. To my right, just before you get to the door that enters this room that I'm recording, there is a hook on the wall and that is where you will find my keys. And right below that hook is a bookshelf. And on the top shelf of that, there's a spot on the right where you could find my wallet. Now, this is not instructions in case you're planning on breaking into the house. Because if, if I'm not here, the keys and wallet went with me. But the reason that I know they're there is because I put them there all the time. And the reason I put them there all the time was because when I trained myself to make a new habit, I really paid attention 
to the idea of walking in the house, walking in this room, emptying my pockets, putting the keys on the hook, putting the wallet down on this spot. Now, I haven't created that habit with my phone. So here's what I do with the phone. I put it down somewhere, and I watch myself put it down, and I ask myself, where's my phone? And then I answer, and in this case, I answer, it's on top of my studio desk. So it's right, it's really right in front of me to the right. I can see it. It's in my peripheral vision. Now, sometimes I fail to do that, and I'm looking for my phone, just like some of you are <laughs> when you're trying to find it. If you just put down your keys, you just put down your wallet, you just put down your purse or your phone or whatever it is that you're going to have to find again, and you do that while you're talking to somebody or while you're thinking about something or while you're not even looking at what you're doing, it's like playing roulette with whether or not you're going to remember where it is. And I would actually kind of bet against it. If you're not paying attention to what you're doing and it matters later on, you're not going to do that. So here's why it doesn't really work to try to memorize music while you're looking at the music. You'll get a sense of visual memory, possibly. You might be able to memorize what it looks like, but that's a very flimsy technique strength-wise that you really can't always rely on. And you don't make music by looking at something. You make music by using your hands, by using your voice. So you really need to think about what these are doing. So here's the first tactic that the article recommends. It says to use multi-coding to engage a full range of senses. And I say this all the time. It doesn't matter if you're memorizing, if you're learning, especially like when you're learning techniques. What does it look like? What does it sound like? What does it feel like? Take time to ask yourself those questions as you're learning them. And when, when I say, what does it look like? I don't mean, what does it look like on the page? What does it look like in your hands? Go really slowly. What does it look like on each finger on the key with each finger lining up on the whole of your woodwind instrument your, or the combination of valves that you're pressing or how the bow is moving or how your left hand is positioned, you know, on a string instrument. So if you're, if you're singing your mouth placement transition from one note to another what does that look like and then what does it feel like what does it feel like when you jump an octave what does it feel like when you cross the thumb under or when you switch from one finger in combination to another and of course i feel like i don't have to remind you you need to think about what it sounds like but you need to listen to it you need to listen to it as you play it correctly so that you know when something's off i have a lot of beginning students and it always surprises me when they play a wrong note and they don't realize it. And it's because we're, we're not fully paying attention to what it's supposed to sound like. So it starts with that. Pay attention to what it looks like, what it sounds like, what it feels like. The next tactic is to apply chunking to remember long sequences of notes. So I've mentioned this before in previous practice videos. One note at a time is not how you listen to music and it's not how you should practice music beyond the very early stages of just getting something down. You need to think of chunks of three notes, four notes, five notes, six notes, little patterns that you sequence together 
so that you do that. And again, with mindful attention to what it looks like, what it sounds like, what it feels like as you're doing it. You want to get your eyes off the page. But practice your music in the logical groupings of notes that you would sing it or that you would play it. The next tactic is to build associations with the music as you sing or play it. So if you're an instrumentalist, sing or hum the music as you play and you practice it. And you create an association with the rhythm and the melodies you go. And you're being aware of the physical movements, the fingers, the hand, the arm motions, the sensitivity of the pressure on keys and fretboards, all while you're playing. And your mind is more likely to recall these associations than the names of individual notes. And by the way, associative memory is very powerful. If you had any dramatic moment in your life while you were listening to something, you'll think of it. Had an adult student tell me that she really had a hard time with the tune Green Sleeves when I signed it to her because uh, one of her friends had passed away many years ago and the music was at her funeral. And she, and she said, I don't know why that was at her funeral, why that choice. But she associates that piece with her, with losing a friend. It's a tough piece for her. Associative memory is, is really powerful. It's sometimes hard to create, though. But by doing things like singing along, that does really help. The next tactic that it suggests is to tailor your practice routine to suit you. So we've talked all about, you know, coming up with a, with a routine but I don't think that I've really talked about how important it is that it suits you because tension and resistance to the process impede memorization. You need to be relaxed as you're working on this and to, to allow your brain to make these connections. Now here's an interesting tactic that it recommends and I've never have thought about this before. Sharpen your mental images by working with larger source material. It's, the article says that there is a connection between using larger images of music, tablature, or lyrics for memorizing content, favoring a large computer monitor rather than an iPad or a phone. This is advice from Dr. Richard Raystack. I have no idea if I'm pronouncing that correctly. Memory expert, neuropsychiatrist, and author of a book called The Complete Guide to Memory, The Science of Strengthening Your Mind. I haven't read that book. I can't tell you anything about it. Apparently, the mind does better at recalling an image captured from a large field of vision than from a narrow visual focus. And this makes sense to me. Uh, when I'm coaching sight reading, the first thing I tell everyone, you, gotta, you need to look broadly. You need to see more notes at once, not fewer notes. And the last tactic that it, that it recommends is retest and persist. Practice and repetition are inescapable elements of memorizing, but the tips and techniques suggested today should boost your efficiency. Finding the process that works best for you individually is essential, rather than relying on a brute force approach. Be persistent and retest your recall of the music until it becomes second nature, and it will with time. The neuroplasticity of the brain works in your favor and becomes more capable as you develop new pathways and skill over time. So in other words, if you want to memorize music, you need to practice playing from memory and just recognizing that early on, you may miss a lot of things. I would recommend that you regularly memorize music. 
if you don't feel like you're at a place where you want to memorize everything, and I'm not, and and I don't think that you should. I'd no longer memorize everything. If I'm playing a 250, 300 page book for a show, I am not memorizing all of it. But it's funny because of because I memorize all the time, I find that I accidentally memorize large portions of it. You can get to to the point to where the memorization starts happening on its own because you create the habits that lead to it. You create an approach that's friendly towards memorizing music. So it's about finding that approach. So if you get nothing else out of this, if you forget everything, I really want to just encourage you to just start with use your eyes on the focal point that makes the music, not the source of the music. What makes the music? Most likely your hands, could be your voice, could, I mean, could be your face, which, you know, you can't really see the voice. And be mindful as you are practicing. What is going on? What does it look like? What does it feel like? What does it sound like? If you can remember that, and if you'll just make the habit of, of practicing this way, you're going to get good at memorizing music. You're going to get better, then you're going to get good, then you're going to become great. And then you're going to have a hard time not memorizing, even when you didn't mean to. By the way, if you're trying this or anything we talk about on the Musician Toolkit, if you're having progress with it, consider letting us know through a voice message. And you can do that at speakpipe.com slash musician toolkit. That's speak, S-P-E-A-K-P-I-P-E dot com slash musician toolkit. Well, that's going to wrap it up for episode number 47. If you enjoyed this episode at all, I would be grateful if you would share it with at least one other person. If you found this on YouTube and you haven't already, go ahead and click the subscribe button and give this video a thumbs up. Lastly, if you have a studio of any kind, I encourage you to check out the time-saving tools that you will find with the Fonz app that will save your time on scheduling, collecting payments, and other aspects of your administration. Well, again, that's going to wrap up today's episode. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll be back with you again next week.